frankincense. Do we ever hear that word any other time other than at Christmas? I don't, I don't think we really do too much. Um, the word frankincense comes from, to us from the old French, which means pure incense. Um, and the incense itself that's spoken of is a resin that comes from the Boswellia tree that's native to the Near East and parts of Africa. And, you know, various cultures have used various uh, incenses for various purposes. But in Israel, incense had a rather singular purpose. It was used for the worship of God. Um, if you look at the tabernacle and the uh, temple that was patterned after the tabernacle, there was an altar of incense in the holy place uh, set just before the veil into the holy of holies. Exodus chapter 30 tells us that this uh, incense that was to be offered to the Lord was a special blend that was not to be used for common purposes. And although according to Leviticus 2, uh, this frankincense was to be mixed with the grain offering, it was never to be mingled with any sin offering. It was to be holy to the Lord and was therefore to be free from any reference to sin. By their actions, it seems that the Magi had a profound understanding of the one to whom they brought this gift. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to go to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. Our Father, in this season... Pray that our lives would be a fragrant offering to you, that we would reflect this gift of incense to Christ, in Christ, and for Christ, we pray. Amen. Well, it might be possible for us to speculate all kinds of reasons why the Magi may have brought this frankincense, this pure incense, to this one who was born king. 
but their actions give us a clue as to what the Magi believed. What they believed about this king was evident by their actions. The Magi understood this king to be divine. Now, they may not have had a Nicene or a Constantinopolitan understanding of the deity of Christ or the doctrine of the incarnation, but they understood him in some way to be divine. We see it in their words to Herod, we've seen his star in the east and we have come to worship him. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and they worshipped him. And the word that Matthew chooses to use here uh, means, according to the standard Greek lexicon, to express one's complete dependence or submission. Throughout the Bible, the word is used of actions and attitudes that are expressed toward God. In some instances, it describes actions towards people, but Again, to quote from the standard Greek lexicon, but by this act they are believed to be or recognized as belonging to a superhuman realm. What would have led the Magi to believe that this king was divine? That's a kind of a peculiar belief, that this one-born king of the Jews was divine. Well, when Babylon... Uh, conquered Jerusalem in the 6th century BC, they deported the best of the Hebrew scribes, brought them off to the court of Nebuchadnezzar to learn the language and the literature of the Babylonians and to serve in Nebuchadnezzar's court. They were to learn the language and literature of Babylon, but the learning went both ways. And And the magi, the advisors, the priests of the Babylonian came to know and became acquainted with the Hebrew Bible and the religion of the Jews. And so perhaps they knew that the prophet Isaiah had said that this one who was to be born would be called Emmanuel. The very word means God with us. Or perhaps they knew from that same prophet that To us a child would be born, to us a son would be given, and among his names would be Mighty God. Daniel had become one of the Babylonian magi, and yet he remained faithful to God. And he told of the coming of a divine and universal kingdom that would destroy and supplant all human kingdoms. Daniel was given a vision of a divine figure. There's a figure uh, in the writings of Daniel called the Son of Man. If you read it, it's evident this is a divine figure. It's not merely a human figure. And it was this figure to whom would be given this kingdom that would never perish. Now, you know, all of these are educated guesses. I don't know exactly what the source of their knowledge, what what passages they may have been looking at, but that they understood enough who this was is evident in the fact that they came in order to worship him. And what the Magi believed was borne out in what the disciples observed 
in the things that Jesus did. For example, you read through the Gospels, it's evident that Jesus healed many people, and all of the Gospels are filled with accounts of Jesus' healing. The prophet Isaiah in chapter 35 told of a day, he said in verse 4, when your God will come. Your God will come. And what would that day look like? Well, in that day, Isaiah said, the eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped, the lame will leap like a deer, and the mute tongue shout for joy. And if you read through the Gospels, you see these things happening in abundance in the ministry of Jesus. But he not only healed people from physical infirmity and sickness, he called back people from the dead. People like Lazarus or people like the son of the widow at Nain called back from the dead. Traveling across the lake of Galilee, we read in Mark chapter 4, a ferocious storm came up. Jesus was asleep in the stern of the boat and his indignant disciples came and woke him up and they said, Lord, don't you care that we're perishing? Jesus rebuked them for their little faith and then he rebuked the wind and the waves with one word. He said, hush. And we're told that the wind and the waves died down and the water became placid like glass. And the disciples at that point who had been afraid were even more afraid, Mark tells us. And they said to one another, Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Who indeed is it that the wind and the waves obey? What the Magi believed and was borne out by the things that Jesus did was also borne out in their observation of the things that Jesus said. In John chapter 5, he referred to God as his own father in a way that made the Pharisees understand that he was claiming equality with God. They didn't like that, but they understood what he was saying. And he claimed to forgive sins. And as the Pharisees asked in Luke 5, who can forgive sins but God alone? You know, I've got number of friends from all kind of walks of life and i've got these two friends i was hanging out with one is unchurched the other goes to church sometimes my unchurched friend curses like a sailor but but then he and he always does this curses like a sailor and then he looks at me and goes i'm sorry i'm sorry i'm sorry i'm sorry and he's always he's always very polite and respectful and my friend who uh goes to church sometimes said well you know he goes i mean the good thing of you cursing like that with a pastor is that he can forgive you and i said um i actually can't forgive you but i can tell you how you can be forgiven who can forgive sin but god alone and yet jesus forgave sin Most startling is his statement in John chapter 8 where he's talking with the religious leaders, the Pharisees, and he says to them, Abraham 
wished to see my day, and he saw it, and he rejoiced, and he was glad. And the religious leaders said, you're not yet 50 years old, and you've seen Abraham? And Jesus answered, and he said, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was, I am. You know, it would have been startling enough if he had said, before Abraham was, I was. Before Abraham was, I existed. That would have been startling enough. But, but you note the change in tense there. He said, before Abraham was, in the past tense, in the present tense, I am. And the shift in tense is striking. It's striking because I am is the name by which God revealed himself to Moses in Exodus chapter 3. You know, I sometimes will hear people express admiration for Jesus as a great teacher, but say, but you know, I don't believe that he was God come in the flesh. A person who said the things, made the claims that Jesus did, is not merely a great teacher. And perhaps he's not a great teacher at all. Because a person who makes the claims that Jesus made is either insane or he is evilly deceptive or he is in fact who he claimed to be. But given the things that Jesus said, he cannot be a great teacher unless he's God come in the flesh. Well, what the Magi believed and the disciples bore witness to is also what the apostles confirmed. And John, writing back over the events, thinking back over the events and telling the story, begins his gospel in this way. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And John says, let me be very clear about this. He says, all things came into being by him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. John didn't say all other things came into being by him. All things came into being by him. Apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The Apostle Paul to the church at Colossae writes, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of the world rather than on Christ. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. In Romans chapter 9 and verse 5, Paul uh, tells the church there that from the patriarchs is traced the human ancestry of the Christ, who he says is God over all, forever blessed. And to Titus he writes that we await the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
The Magi came bearing the gift of pure incense. It's a fitting gift for those who came to worship him. Frankincense was very valuable at that time. It's, It's no longer valuable as it once was. You can buy it. People use it for all kinds of common purposes now. It doesn't have the same import that it did. But we can reflect that gift of frankincense by recognizing Jesus as Emmanuel, as God with us, and bowing to him as Lord, as our creator through whom all things were made, and apart from him nothing was made that has been made, and as our redeemer. And we can worship him as the Magi worshipped him. You know, there's an amazing thing in that. We ought to have sought God, but we didn't. Quoting Psalm 53, the Apostle Paul writes to the church at Rome, he said, no one seeks God. Not me, not you, no one seeks God. And the the Magi came seeking him. They they sought him, they only sought him because he was there. You say, well, duh. But I want you to think about that for a moment. They came seeking him because he was there. Why was he there? Because he came seeking them. Are you seeking him this season? Can you feel the full weight that this one born to a poor woman in an insignificant town is in fact God of God? Light of light, very God of very God. If you're seeking him today, the reason is because he has come seeking you. And if you haven't sought him, I want to invite you to do so. To come to him and be reconciled to God through him. To know the peace with God and the grace of God through him. To come and bow before him and give to him your life. He's the God to whom we owe our existence. And we owe him that worship. But he's the God who came seeking us. And if you haven't sought him yet, I invite you to do so today. And if you seek him, you'll find him because if you seek him, it's because he has come seeking you. So come. Let us seek and worship together the one who sought us. Lord Jesus Christ, we bow in your presence today.
We acknowledge you not only as our Savior, not only as our substitute, not only as our Redeemer and our Healer, not only as the one who is our peace with God and with one another, but Lord Jesus, we recognize you as God of God, light of light, very God of very God. The one whom we should seek. And we marvel that when we didn't seek you, you came to seek us. You came to seek and to save what was lost. And Lord, we confess that was us. And we thank you for coming. Give us hearts to seek you. And to fall down in worship of you as the Magi did. Be reconciled to God through you, we pray. Amen.
Thank you.